Second Chronicles chapter 31. Second Chronicles chapter 31. Tonight's message is cleansing, serving, and giving. All three of the ministries that we should that people should see in our lives when we are born again and when we <clears throat> are walking with the Lord. Here in this chapter, we have an account of what was done after the Passover was reinstituted, and we saw that in our chapter 30 last week. Let's begin with verse 1 of chapter 31 here. And the writer says, Now when all this was finished, and he's talking about that 15 days of celebration, remember, in last week's chapter. Now when all this was finished, all Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah and broke the sacred pillars in pieces cut down the wooden images and threw down the high places and the altars from all Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh until they had utterly destroyed them all. Then all the children of Israel returned to their own cities, every man to his possession. Why was idol worship so bad? The Israelites had access, when they had access, to the one true living God. But you see, they constantly fell into worshiping lifeless, useless idols made out of wood and stone. Idols they can't see, they can't hear, they can't speak, they can't move. Idols that the people had to carry around and set up. I mean, what could they, what could they do for you? The people put aside worshiping the Creator in order to worship the creation. And you know, sometimes we're just as guilty when God no longer holds the first place in our lives when we think more about wealth and pleasure and prestige or material possessions than about god we're actually worshiping then those lifeless and useless things as gods and because of idol worship the people of judah were eventually sent into captivity in the foreign lands now we may not be sent into captivity but discipline is waiting for all of those who don't seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and continually put earthly desires above spiritual priorities. So the most sensible thing we can do, or the the people did here after the great 15-day festival, is what took place here in chapter 31. We read that the Israelites, they went through Judah, they went through Benjamin, and they destroyed all of whatever was left of Baal's sacred places of worship. When you return to walk with the Lord, there should be fruit evident for everyone to see. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away and behold, that means look at it, check it out. It means watch, it means see all things have become new because again, you should see the evidence in one's life. What they did here was the right thing to do. It was timely and it was useful. First, there was the cleansing, getting rid of those things in your life that aren't pleasing to God. You see, God is not going to pour himself into a dirty vessel. I mean, when you want to drink a water, do you just grab any glass and, 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 and just pour water into it? No, you check it out. You see if it's clean because you don't want to pour, you know, clean water into a dirty glass and then drink of it. After the celebration was over, they went out to the cities of Judah And they broke the sacred pillars into pieces. They cut down the wooden images. They threw down the high places and the altars from all Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh. 
They did all of this until all those things were totally destroyed and nothing was left of them. This was something they did according to their convictions. It was something they did that resulted from the rededication to the Lord. The Lord said to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1, 9 and 10, See, Jeremiah, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and throw down, to build and to plant. You see, Jeremiah's ministry was a tough one because he was sent to tear down whatever needed to be torn down before he could build. He he had to root up before he could plant. In too many ministries, there are things that don't belong there. And they should be torn down because they're getting in the way of progress. Some things are just taking, taking up space, but they're not bearing any fruit. And they ought to be removed. They ought to be pulled up. Jesus said in Matthew fifteen thirteen, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. You see, to keep those things around, that is, those leftover Uh, those, those remnants of idolatry that held you in bondage to keep them around is a foolish temptation and it's dangerous. Why? Because it could pull you back into the bondage of those things. Now, you might not like doing that. It might be costly or inconvenient, but you have to do it. You have to take whatever steps need to be done to do it. And you can avoid the danger of temptation a lot better when those things that you are in bondage to are broken down cut down, thrown down, and totally destroyed. The cleansing here is a sign of godliness. It's an outward display of what God is doing in your heart, the work that he's doing in your heart. We show our spirit of of obedience by turning away from evil things. Proverbs 4, 14, and 15 says, Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it and pass on. Solomon is saying, basically, just get away from it. Just simply refuse to touch it. God's children can't expect God's leading if they walk back and forth on the, uh, between the path of wisdom and the path of the wicked. We have to stay as far away from that path of evil as you can. Don't enter it, Solomon said. Avoid it. Don't even go near it. Go and then stay as far away from it as you can. God does not guide his children when they're walking in darkness. When you're living in the will of God, the path will get brighter and brighter, not darker and darker. The psalmist said in Psalm 1-1, Blessed or happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the godly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. There are times... And situations when just closing our eyes and keeping our hands to ourselves isn't enough. You know, just swearing and promising, I'll never do that again. is not enough. We need to take the axe and chop it down to the ground and we need to break it into pieces. And this was the wisdom that we see in Israel when it came to all the idols, groves and altars and the high places. They completely destroyed them until there was nothing left. Because you see, as long as those things were around, they were too strong of a temptation for the people to, to, to go back to, uh, again, to go back to them and worship them. True godliness was shown by removing and destroying those things, not just saying, you know what, I'm not going to have anything to do with that anymore. 
It's not just moving them over to the next room so that I can't see them, you know, out of, out of sight, out of mind kind of a thing. But it's removing the temptation completely from your sight and totally out of your reach. In other words, if a person has a drinking problem, you just don't hide the bottle in the cabinet. You don't just pour it down the drain. You don't go to places that serve alcohol. You don't hang out with friends that drink. You might say, well, you know, I just might as well, you know, hide myself in a, in a, in a dungeon. If you have to, yes. If that's what it takes, you have to do it. If you have a problem with pornography, just don't get on the computer when others are around. And, and I heard this, oh, well, you know, I'll, I'm just going to get on it when others are around so they'll, they'll be my witness. Or, you know, I'll put a filter on the computer. You know, uh, or, you, know you, you need to get rid of the computer. This shows how sincere you are about really removing the problem from your, for your, life, from your life and making and keeping things right. You will never outgrow the ability to sin. Devotion and sincerity to your Lord is best shown by totally eliminating whatever the wicked thing is in your life. By doing something that puts the temptation totally out of reach. That temptation that has over and over again pulled you back, that has proved to be too strong for you and has been your downfall. The idol can't be kept in the house. It has to be broken in pieces. And by Israel, it was totally and wisely destroyed. It showed their wisdom. The people went about their work of destroying those things until they had totally destroyed every single one of them. Because again, to leave any of those idols at all would be like leaving weeds in the garden. They're just going to grow back. They need to be completely pulled up or sooner or later they will take over again. If the destruction of things is to be of any lasting good, whatever has to be destroyed has to be completely removed until there's nothing left. And if we're really determined and we're really serious and honest about getting rid of any wickedness in our nature or getting rid of, of any harmful habit in our life, the only thing we can do is to totally wipe it out. Get rid of it completely without hesitation. Don't think twice about it. It doesn't make any sense, you know, when, when you want to remove weeds, it doesn't make any sense to just cut, up, cut off the top of them. They will grow back. They have to be pulled completely out of the soil, pulled up. And there's no doubt that cleansing your life of sin can be costly. It can be sacrificial. It can be painful. You see, there's no doubt that a lot of value went into the creation of these idols and these altars by the people. They spent a lot of time and a lot of energy and work to build these, these worship places, these false worship places. A lot of work went into making these worthless idols and altars and the high places. A lot of skill, maybe a lot of affection for these things. Uh, and there were, they felt that maybe there was a so-called godliness. Relationships were made. But even though they spent time and energy and money to make these things, they have to be destroyed. They have to disappear for the sake of truth and for pure religion. You can't spare any of them just because they cost you something. Or there's an emotional attachment. And especially when they stood between the nation's true godliness and real prosperity. Nor can the costliness of anything that we treasure keep it from being destroyed and removed from our sight, especially if it stands, first of all, between you and your Lord. 
If it stands between you and your moral and spiritual integrity. And third, if it stands between you and your usefulness. And fourth, between you and eternal life. Remember we just read in Matthew 5, 29 and 30. Jesus said, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Jesus was not literally saying, you know, pluck out your eye or cut off your right hand. He was saying you have to take, he was emphasizing taking drastic measures to remove the sin that will pull you down. Because sometimes we allow sin in our life to go unchecked. We just ignore it. We just live the, leave the sin or the sins alone. We don't do anything about them. The problem is they can eventually destroy us. It's like, again, ignoring an infection. Pretty soon it becomes serious and it can even become life-threatening. It's better to experience the pain of removing the sin, getting rid of a bad habit or something that we treasure than to let the sin bring God's judgment upon us and his condemnation. Paul said, examine your life. He said, examine your life. And and anything that causes you to sin and do whatever it takes to remove it completely. David says, search me, O God, and point out anything in me that offends you. 2 Corinthians 13.5, Paul said, examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. He said, test yourselves. Paul was telling the Corinthians that they should examine their hearts to see if they were truly born again and members of the family of God. Do you have the witness of the Holy Spirit in your heart? Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you practice a life of righteousness? Have you overcome the world so that you're living a life of godly separation? And these are just a few of the tests that we can apply to our own lives to make sure that we are the children of God. Now verses 2 through 3. And Hezekiah appointed the divisions of the priests and the Levites according to their divisions, each man according to his service, the priests and Levites, for burnt offerings and peace offerings, to serve, to give thanks, and to praise in the gates of the camp of the Lord. The king also appointed a portion of his possessions for the burnt offerings, For the morning and evening burnt offerings, the burnt offerings for the Sabbaths and the new moons and the set feasts, as it is written in the law of the Lord. We saw in chapter 28, there was this long disruption, this long break in Judah's official worship when Ahaz was the king. He brought confusion to God's people and he brought disorder to their religious life. They had forsaken the system of priestly and Levitical divisions that David had originally organized. So now Hezekiah here has to reorganize it. When you come back to walk with the Lord, the first thing that has to be done, as we saw, was the cleansing. The second thing that's left is the serving, which is evidence of the consecrated life. As soon as the excitement of the Passover was over and they destroyed all of those idolatrous articles, Hezekiah wisely arranged to have regular services to the Lord which included the priests and the Levites, according to verse 2. This service was threefold. First of all, performing the holy services at the altar, doing for the people that only consecrated men could do, 
offering their sacrifices to Jehovah. So they stood between their brothers and sisters and their God, becoming a mediator of communion between them and him. Secondly, this, uh, re, uh, again, uh, restoring uh, the, the, the service here, it helped the people look into and gain all possible knowledge of God's law. And third, Hezekiah led this service of singing in verse 2 and teaching the people the law which they had learned. There are a lot of people in the church who have offered their, lo- their Lord a consecrated life and it makes them responsible to surrender their strength to him in these three ways. First of all, to take care of his house or somewhere else. The special service of, of praying for God's people or helping them to draw near to God, which is a very valuable and great service. Secondly, honestly becoming more and more acquainted with the mind of Christ as it's revealed to us in the word of God or in his works in our life or through the experience of learning from other servants. And third, passing on the truth that you have learned. How? By teaching or preaching in the sanctuary or the Sunday school or home or personally or instrument, uh, instrumentally. To further the kingdom of Christ, we need more men and women who will consistently, not sporadically, but consistently give a consecrated life to serving the Lord. Verses 4 through 10. Moreover, he commanded the people who dwelt in Jerusalem to contribute support for the priests and the Levites that they might devote themselves to the law of the Lord. As soon as the commandment was circulated, the children of Israel brought in abundance the first fruits of grain and wine, oil and honey, and of all the produce of the field. And they brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. And the children of Israel and Judah who dwelt in the cities of Judah brought the tithe of oxen and sheep. Also the tithe of holy things which were consecrated to the Lord their God, they laid in heaps. In the third month they began laying them in heaps and they finished in the seventh month. And when Hezekiah and the leaders came and saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and his people. Then Hezekiah questioned the priests and the Levites concerning the heaps. And Azariah, the chief priest from the house of Zadok, answered him and said, Since the people began to bring the offerings into the house of the Lord, notice, we have had enough to eat and have plenty left, for the Lord has blessed his people, and what is left is the great abundance. A true revival going on here. The the law clearly stated that the people were to contribute support by the giving of their tithes and their offerings. That is a portion of their goods so that the work of the temple could go on. The Hebrew word translated tithe is is derived from a word that means ten. Abraham gave the priest Melchizedek a tenth of his wealth. And this set the example throughout the Old Testament for what was considered an an appropriate portion of of one's wealth to give to the Lord. And according to the law, Israelites were to set aside a tenth of their annual produce to God. Deuteronomy 14, 22 through 28. Whatever was given to the Lord was considered holy. And it was to be used to support the ministry of the priests and the Levites. The The prophet Malachi made it known. He said that if you didn't bring a tithe to God, it was the same as robbing him. Think about how many who profess to be God's people rob him every Sunday when it comes to the giving of their portion and their worship of him. Did you know that the Sunday worship service consists of worshiping him in song, worshiping through the teaching of the word, and then worshiping through the giving of our tithes to God in the offering? 
The worship service consists of worship, the word, and giving to him. In Genesis 14, 20, it says, Abram gave him Melchizedek a tenth of all. Abraham tithed before the law was even given. You see, it should come naturally. Just that relationship with God because of what he's given to me. It, it, it gives me a desire to give back to him. Jacob tithed before the law was given. You see, when you're walking with the Lord, giving is the evident fruit. We have an example here of the generous and cheerful giving of the people's possessions to the work of God. And they were led and taught by Hezekiah in this. The people responded with tithes and first fruits, so that it says here there were piles and piles of abundance in the temple courts. And even after everything that was required, you know, for the temple upkeep to take care of the Levites and the priests, after all of that was separated and given for them, verses 6 through 9, there was still an abundance that was left over, according to verse 10. And what we see here is that giving of our possessions is a good way to serve the Lord. What better way to show our thanks to the great giver, our God, the giver of every good and perfect gift of every kind, than by dedicating to him and his service some generous part of what he gives us. Proverbs 3, 9 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all of your increase. Secondly, those who instruct others to show this grace giving, they should be an example and do it themselves. Not just for, for leaders and, and, and to, to say, hey, yeah, we, you know, we encourage you guys to do and then not do it ourselves. Now, we need to be the examples in the giving. Third, those who have the greater privileges may be expected through their example to encourage the others. And then, if asked in the right way, God's people may be counted on to make a large and even a generous response, as we see in verses 5 and 6. This kind of service done in Hezekiah's spirit with his attitude will bring abundant blessings from God. And that's what we see in verse 10. Malachi 3.10, you know, he, 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 he tests us. He, he, he challenges us to try out God, to see how faithful he is. Malachi 3.10, he said, bring all the tithes in the store. God is challenging the people. Bring all the tithes into the storehouses so there will be enough food in my temple. The Lord said this. He said, if you will open the windows of heaven. I'm sorry. He said, if you, if, if you do, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to, to take it in. He says, try it. Put me to the test. God challenges us. We can never out give God and many say I can't afford to give to God well you can't afford not to you know God's word you know it's he says try me test me and I'll prove it to you I don't know if you ever thought about it but but you know many times we we pray for God to help us with our finances and yet we don't give him what we owe him but we expect him to come through in our prayers when we need his financial help and yet we we rob him on Sunday morning Verses 11 through 19. Now Hezekiah commanded them to prepare rooms in the house of the Lord, and they prepared them. Then they faithfully brought in the offerings, the tithes, and the dedicated things. Conaniah the Levite had charge of them, and Shammai, the brother 
uh, his brother was the next. Uh, Jehiel, Azaziah, Nahath, uh, Asael, Jeremoth, Josabad, Eliel, uh, uh, Ismachiah, Mahath, and Benaniah. They were overseers under the hand of Conaniah and Shemai, his brother, at the commandment of Hezekiah, the king, and Azariah, the ruler of the house of God. Kor, Kori, uh, the son of Imna, the Levite, the keeper of the east gate, was over the free will offerings to God to distribute the offerings of the Lord and the most holy things. And under him were Eden, uh, Miniamin, uh, Jeshua, Shemaiah, Amariah, and Shechaniah, his faithful assistants in the cities of the priests to distribute allotments to their brothers by divisions to the great as well as to the small. Besides those males from three years old and up who were written in the geology, genealogy, they distributed to everyone who entered the house of the Lord his daily portion for the work of his service by his division, and to the priests who were written in the genealogy according to their father's house, and to the Levites from twenty years old and up according to their work by their divisions, and to all who were written in the genealogy, their little ones and their wives, their sons and daughters, the whole company of them, for in their faithfulness they sanctified themselves in holiness also for the sons of Aaron the priests who were in the fields of the common lands of their cities in every single city there were men who were designated by name to distribute portions to all the males among the priests and to all who were listed by genealogies among the Levites because of all the people who gave Hezekiah had to to now lay out a well-organized financial plan because of all the abundance that were brought Hezekiah carefully made arrangements to give out the first fruits, that is the tithes and the special offerings to the priests and the Levites. So he had the storerooms built to hold all of the tithes and the offerings according to verse 11. And every arrangement needed was made so that he could help, so it could help give what was stored uh, to those it was intended to go to. There are three things that we can, can uh, see to consider here. First of all, God's tithe is holy. What was given to the Lord, we read, notice, it was placed inside the temple. Why? Because it was given to the Lord. But it was taken care of by his ministers. You see, we are nothing more than stewards of what belongs to God. We're caretakers of it. He's given us the responsibility to take care of the things that belong to him. It was a spiritual duty by those who gave, and it's a spiritual duty for those whose special duty it was to give it out. Verse 12 said, they faithfully brought the dedicated things. You see, our giving to all of God's work should be a totally sincere and, 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 and godly work. It can be considered, what we do, we can, it can be considered as unto the Lord. What we do is unto the Lord, not to men. Just the same as worshiping or preaching the word of God. It should be a holy service. It should be offered to the Lord carefully and it should be offered to the Lord sincerely. Also, the collection of the tithes was orderly. It said the people brought a tithe of all that they owned in verse 5. And this is the right principle for the church today. In other words, let every man, Paul said, consider how much of his income to give based on proportion to what God has given them. Considering this, the amount that he has, and also his responsibilities. After that, what can he possibly, possibly give to God's work and to man? And then let him set uh, all of that apart for the Lord. Secondly, let every one of us be encouraged to give special help whenever somebody you know, uh, makes a special request. And again, um, 
the, the outpouring for the, the, the missions work in Mexico was, you know, Oscar wanted to, to say thank you to all of you and, you know, those who aren't here as well because he said he, it was just such an outpouring of God's love and in, in, in the abundance of the things that, you know, he got to take to Mexico. So, again, and this is exactly what we're seeing here. That for every one of us to be encouraged to give special help whenever some special request is made. Also, thirdly, the, the distributing of the tithes was orderly. Again, and this depends... Uh, a lot on the nature of the church and the size of every church. But there are some basic principles that we can learn here in this chapter. And that is, make sure that everything that's given is dedicated and is distributed. That is, nothing's wasted or misused. And we have to be careful and we have to be faithful with what belongs to God. It's not ours to, to, to play with. It's not ours to spend with as we see fit. We are to make sure that everything that's given is dedicated and distributed. Again, nothing wasted or misused. Also, we have to let the needs of those that God has placed the heavier responsibilities on be taken care of. As the Levites and the priests were given a heavier responsibility, God makes sure they were taken care of. And third, let those who are busy in the lesser responsibilities be considered just as important as those with the heavier responsibilities. Uh, again, so here it says in verse 15, 19, both the great as well as the small were taken care of. And fourthly, let men and women of good reputation and ability have charge of the treasury, verses 12 through 14. Verses 20 through 21. Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did, and what he did was good and right and true before the Lord his God. And in every work that he began in the service of the house of God, in the law and in the camp commandment to seek his God, he did it with all his heart, so he prospered. Everything that Hezekiah did, he did it with a sincere heart. There was no hesitation by Hezekiah. There was no half-heartedness with Hezekiah. What he did, we read here, he did with all his heart. That's what God blesses, what we do with all of our heart. Under Hezekiah's leadership, everything was carried out. Everything was done with vigor and determination, showing that his heart, as well as his body, man, he was into the work 100%. He, he, he jumped in with all that he had. And that's why Hezekiah was so successful in accomplishing what Asa, Jehoshaphat, and Jotham, Jotham couldn't do. Hezekiah removed the high places. Now, it's not about having the right personality. It's clearly a moral quality. Now, some men might be gifted. They might have a really outgoing and passionate and, 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 and vibrant nature. You know, go, go, go. And as a result, they might take on every, every work, every job, and every cause. And they might put all of their energy into it and all of their effort just because they see a need and just because they want to do it. And yet, they can be far from being sincere. The kind of moral sincerity that Hezekiah had which was the, the, character of his, the quality of his character, was more than this. It was different from this. It was Hezekiah's dedication and concentration. 
and being able to put all of his energy into what he knew was right. Hezekiah knew this is the right thing to do. He was conscientious and he was determined to keep those things that he knew to be the most important, the priority, and he gave them his fullest attention. Hezekiah's sincerity wasn't just a part of his personality. It was, it was spiritual power that he had. That's the way it should be with all of us. He did what he had to do. He, but he did it with the help of the people who were just as sincere as he would. You know, nobody does a, you know, does a, uh, can do a great work by themselves. That's why God's called all of us together. And when you look at the early church, you see that the people together were united in one accord. And that's why the church flourished. That's why the church was powerful. Because the people had a mind to work. They were united in their thoughts <clears throat> and in their work. So again, it was a spiritual power he had and, and all the people as well. They were just as sincere as he was. And he chose to do what was right. It was chose what to do was good and true. And so did the people. The first thing that we need to know is what is the truth? And what is right? Who's right? What is our life all about? Who and what are we ourselves? What can we do on this earth while we're here? How far can we go? And what, what, what are our limitations? Who are we accountable to for everything that we do? For everything that we are? And when we die, will we live again? Has God spoken to us now? Has he spoken to us through the Lord Jesus Christ? It's the right thing to do for every man to patiently, carefully, and determinately and sincerely look for the answer to all of these questions until he finds them. Secondly, sincerity will result in righteous character. If I truly want to be right with God and I truly want to walk with God and serve God, I know that I need to have righteous character. Sincerity will, will lead to righteous character. To get right with God and to be right in your heart and to be ruled by right principles and to be driven by a right spirit and have character that's sound and strong, righteous character is something to be sincerely pursued and pursued until we get it. Thirdly, being sincere will do what's good and useful and live a life of faithful service and especially to be servants of God. Here's where Hezekiah's sincerity showed the most. In every work that Hezekiah started in the house of God and to seek his God, he did it with all his heart. He did it to further the purpose and the kingdom of God and to help his fellow man by doing all this. This is how our sincerity should stand out strong and clear if we do it with, a, with all of our heart. So in closing, we need to be totally sincere in everything that we need to do or that we do for the Lord Jesus. For the one who gave himself for us. We need to live and work with all of our heart and all of our strength. Never weakening, never failing. And stay devoted from our youth all through our life, even to old age, still bringing forth fruit in old age. Hezekiah prospered. Why? Because God loved him and found favor in him. And God was with him. 
Hezekiah also prospered in those areas where he showed a lot of passion and sincerity. It's sincerity that prospers. You see, if you, if you don't have interest, if you're not interested in what you're doing, you're not going to get very far. Impulsiveness gives up quick. We start off quick, and then as it keeps going, we, we wear down, we weary and doing good, and we just we, we quit. Half-heartedness gets tired before we get to the finish line. But sincerity goes for the goal, and it doesn't stop until it wins the prize. Father, we thank you so much for your love and your mercy. And Father, as a good example is Jesus Christ, Lord. He came, and God, he was, he, he was fruitful, and he was flourishing till the day he died. And he didn't quit until he reached his goal, which was the cross, where he gave it his all. And Father, may that be said of us, Lord. That, Father, we started the race, we ran the race, and we finished the race. And we finished it well. And Lord, may we keep our eyes upon you. May we not look to the left or to the right. But may our eyes be fixed upon you, looking unto Jesus as the author and the finisher of our faith. As we race for the prize, Lord. Nobody runs a race to lose. We run to win. We run for the prize. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't know Christ. You want to you wanna join the race. You want to get into the race. But you don't think you can last. Or you've started the race and you've given up. Well, Christ is the way to finish. He will carry us to the finish line. The worship team is going to lead us in a song of worship. And if you're here tonight and, and you don't know Christ or you're not sure if you know Christ or if there's any doubt, but you'd like to make sure. As we worship, you get up out of your seat. You make your way to the steps up front and I'll meet you there. And When the song's over, we'll pray together a prayer of faith.